Amen. Hallelujah. Just a little history about myself. I was uh, saved at the age of nine. I started preaching the gospel at the age of 10 on the street corners of Chicago. At 10 years of age, I became known as a little prophet as pastors and evangelists would come across the country to my home church. And they would come to my pastor and say, God sent me here because you have a word for me. And you look at them and say, no, I don't. But there's a little boy that does. Many other times the pastor would call me into his office before service and there'd be another man there, an evangelist or a pastor or whatever. And he would look at me and he said, uh, uh, Freddie, I want you to pray for him. I said, okay. And as I started praying for them, I started reading them their diary. I started telling them where they had been, where they are, and where God was taking them. This happened quite often. As I grew older, I began to ask God, I said, God, why did you use me in such a manner? He said, because these men were so burned out, so ready to walk away from ministry, they become so bitter that if an adult had spoken to them what you spoke to them, they would not have accepted it. But because it came from a child, they knew it was God. Now, I grew up in a church that was radical in the fact that we had children that would be minister in tongues, interpretation, and in prophetic words. We had young people that our church would run about 400 on Sunday morning, but we'd run 700 on Sunday night as they would bring people from all over the city of Chicago to our home church. And we'd have people in there that were suffering from different diseases, different infirmities. And the young people, God would, our pastor would lay his hands on them so that God used you and they'd start calling out the different infirmities. Laying hands on people, God healing them. Right off of our platform, we had a small room. And in that room was where we had all the wheelchairs, the crank canes, the back braces, the canes of what people left behind after they got healed. You see, that was old-fashioned Pentecost. Now, many times we, people get mistaken what is Pentecost because there are a lot of people who try to, to invent their Pentecost. And in this day and hour, we have to know what is of God and what is not of God. We have a lot of people who say that they are prophets and they're no more a prophet than, than, than the drunk down the street. I have to understand. People call me prophet. I've never gone about and said, hey, look at me, I'm a prophet. Matter of fact, when they start calling me prophet, it bothered me. Um, because, you know, I'm, I'm assembly of God. I grew up in the assemblies of God. Uh, um, I've been uh, preaching in the assemblies of God since 1970. And uh, this is my 50, 51st year of ministry. And uh, within it, we, we kind of, they kind of just step back from apostles and prophets and stuff like that because I don't know why they have, but so it was something that when people started calling me prophet, I didn't like it. But finally I said, well, okay, they want to call me prophet. That's up to them. That's fine. But I didn't call myself a prophet, even though God used me in that ministry. 
But it was in 2014, while at a conference, a man by the name of Bobby Welchel, he was one of the last persons to be with those who were the survivors of Azusa Street. And they began to share with him everything that God had done through them and in their church on Azusa Street. And he said, it was interesting, none of them ever got sick. He said, they were healthy, every one of them. And every one of them would share the stories of, of, of healings, of what we call creative healings, people that didn't have arms, they, and God restored their arms. People without legs, God restoring the legs. And you say, well, that's, that's, that's not true. That's, that, that's ludicrous. That can't happen. Um, yeah, well, they also said you can't part the Red Sea. They also said Walls Jericho couldn't come down. Jesus said, these miracles that I do, greater miracles shall you do. But, you know, we have a hard time believing the Bible. That's the reason why we say, oh, that's crazy. That can't happen. Hello? Come on. But that man, he received all her stories. And it's interesting that this one lady, she told him, she said, uh, I want you to recite back to me what I told you. And so he told her everything that she is good. You have the story good because I'm leaving. He said, oh, you're going back to Oklahoma? She goes, no, I'm leaving. I'm going to be going home tonight. And that night she went home to be with the Lord. He said every one of the residents there, when it was their time to go, they would have him recite the story. And then they would tell him, well, we're leaving today. He said they hadn't been sick a day in their life, and all of a sudden they were gone. To walk with Jesus in such a manner that you know when you're leaving. That you know. You see, we are so engrossed in the natural that we have a hard time accepting the supernatural. Many years ago, it was back in 2009, I lay in a hospital bed and I was dying. I'd had a surgery that went bad. I was bleeding internally. I was too weak for them to even do a surgery on me again. I had four drains hanging from my body, collecting the blood. From my waist down, I gained 40 pounds of water, and it was traveling through my body. And it was one night, while in that hospital, all of a sudden, I was dying. My wife was in that room. I'll tell you, if you want anybody in a room when you're dying, that's the woman. And she began to intercede. She told her fam told our family, I don't want nobody here tonight. It's just me and your dad, and your grandpa. And she went into intercessory prayer. That night, I battled the very powers of hell as they wanted to take me out. 
It was a battle all night long. And I felt, I mean, I could actually see demonic forces surrounding me. But I knew there was another presence as well. Towards the morning, I saw a very bright light. And I knew I made it. That morning, a young Hispanic pastor whom I was mentoring, he came to me that morning, came to me in my hospital room. He said, Pastor, I've been up all night long praying for you. And God sent me to tell you that your greatest days are still ahead of you. That afternoon, another young pastor who I had been mentoring came. He said, Pastor, he said, I've been up all night long praying for you. God sent me to tell you, your greatest days are still ahead of you. Two months I was in the hospital. Eight to nine months it took me to recoup my strength. And at that time, revival broke out in Terre Haute, Indiana. And I told my wife, I said, I need to go to that. She says, I know you do. God already told her. So I don't know why I was telling her. And I walked into that revival and evangelist Michael Livengood, he came to me. He said, Fred, we've been waiting for you. About 15 minutes later, Pastor Taylor, Keith Taylor, he came and said, Fred, We've been waiting for you. I thought, why didn't you call me? We've been waiting for you. I became the prophetic voice of that outpouring. And since that time, I was 62, 60, what was I? 64 years of age. And God was restoring to me the prophetic gift that he gave me as a child. And since that time, we've taken this gospel message to New Zealand, to Ireland, and to the Philippines. I've preached in front of small groups, and I've preached in front of thousands. And I think they say, what was the greatest highlight for you? It was in Manila, where you made the altar call. And I saw 10,000 young people run to the altar for salvation. We had to clear the chairs from the, from the floor of that, of that huge auditorium. And we were the group of us, there were about 100 of us that went to the Philippines. We went to the Philippines to hold Revival in 32 of the largest cities simultaneously. We had groups in different islands, different parts of the Philippines. And in 10 days, 310,000 people came to Jesus Christ. Since then, my wife and I, we've been back to the Philippines several times. And can I tell you, there is a move of God in the Philippines that has not let up. It's been powerful. Back in March, the Lord gave me a prophetic word. He said, wherever you go, I want you to give this word. 
So before I even get into my message, let me get into this, so this prophetic word that God gave me. From Psalms 18 and 6, it's, 6, it says, In my distress, when seemingly closed in, I called upon the Lord and cried to my God. He heard my voice out of his temple, out of his heavenly dwelling place, and my cry came before him into his very ears. Then the earth quaked and rocked. The foundations also, the mountains trembled. They moved and were shaken because he was indignant and angry. Hear the word. Even as the psalmist cried out in his time of distress, and even as I heard his cry and came to his rescue, so too I've heard the cry of those who are called by my name. I've heard the cry of those who are imprisoned and persecuted across the nations. I've heard the cry of those whose bodies have been sold and traded in sex trafficking around the world. My ears are burning from the cries of my servants who are asking, Lord, do you not see what man is doing to the laws of our land? Father, they are removing all that is just and true, that which is holy and replacing it with everything that goes against your word. I am God, and I am neither deaf nor am I blind. I hear the cries, and I see the degradation that has enraptured this nation and the nations of this world I create, that I created. The very earth cries out with the blood of those killed in the womb. It is a cry that circles my throne day and night, calling out for justice. The psalmist declared that after he had cried out to me, that I became indignant and angry. Then the earth quaked and rocked. The foundations also of the mountains trembled. They moved and were shaken. He also declared, he takes one look at earth and triggers an earthquake, points a finger at the mountains and volcanoes erupt. My prophet prophesied, he stops, he shakes the earth. He looks around, nations tremble. The age-old mountains fall to pieces. Ancient hills collapse like spent balloons. The path God takes are, hid, are older than the oldest mountains and hills. You've heard it declared, says the Lord, that I am shaking things up and that what you have been experiencing is the fulfillment of Haggai's prophecy. And I say to you, what you have been experiencing is not a shaking. It is simply the tremors that take place before the earth shaking begins. There are those who preach permissive grace who have declared, surely God will not come with such vengeance, for he is a God of mercy and grace. Yes, I am also a God who keeps his word. If I say I will shake the heavens and the earth, then that is precisely what I am going to do. I have also said that I will not be mocked, yet many are they who have mocked me by misinterpreting my word and by preaching a gospel of permissive grace. I have said that anyone who adds any words that are written into, in my word shall receive the plagues that are recorded in my word, and that he who takes away any of the words recorded in my word shall have no part in the tree of life in, in the holy city that are described in my word. The earth and my church have experienced the tremors before the earthquake. But hear me, 
Soon they will experience the earthquakes where they are least expected. There will be shaking that will go on across this earth and will bring about a fear of God such as never been seen since the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. The time has come when seasons will seem confused as storms too many to number will sweep across the land, causing destruction and death and taking away the wealth of the land. Volcanoes will erupt, spewing ash that will travel for hundreds of miles, creating sickness and causing fires as the embers fall into the forest lands. But hear me, says the Lord, I would not have my people to be fearful, for I am not a God who abandons his own. In the midst of great turmoil, I will shelter you under the shadow of my wings. Do you not understand what I'm saying when I said I will cover you with my wings? I will cover you with my glory and no harm shall come your way. No plague shall come near your door, but you will abide under the shadow of the, of the glory of the Almighty. Understand that as a God who must keep his word, I must act and I must act quickly as the time is so short. But I say to my beloved, be not afraid or dismayed, for it will be in those troublesome times when my glory will be displayed within my bride. Many will see my glory upon the faces of my bride and will come seeking healing, deliverance, and my salvation. These times of turmoil will bring in the greatest harvest ever seen since the beginning of time. Many are they who will come to the doors of your sanctuaries seeking healing of body and find healing of body and soul. Many are they who deal in witchcraft, who shall renounce their demonic trade and come seeking deliverance. There will be days and weeks after week when you will see miracles too many to number. You will see in the church and outside the church signs and wonders as I put my glory on display for all the world to see and know that I am God. Once again, I say to my beloved, prepare for you are living in the hour of the fulfillment of all prophecy. Yeah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Mm. Wow. How many know God's good? All the time, yes. This morning, my text is from Ephesians chapter 5. Oh, no, it isn't. Take that back. The Lord said, no, you're not sick. I didn't give that to you. I said, yes, Lord. From Job chapter 1, verse 6 through 12. Hallelujah. Would you stand with me to give honor to the reading of my Father's word? Hallelujah. One day the members of the heavenly court came to present themselves before the Lord, and the accuser Satan came with them. Where have you come from? The Lord asked Satan. 
Satan answered the Lord, I have been patrolling the earth, watching everything that's going on. Then the Lord asked Satan, have you noticed my servant Job? He is the finest man in all the earth. He is blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God and stays away from evil. What a testimony. Satan replied to the Lord, Yes, but Job has good reason to fear God. You have always put a wall of protection around him and his home and his property. You've made him prosper in everything he does. Look how rich he is. But reach out and take away everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. All right, you may test him, the Lord said to Satan. Do whatever you want with everything he possesses, but don't harm him physically. So Satan left the presence, the Lord's presence. Thank you, Father, for the joy that's mine to speak your word. Have your way today. Have your way. I bind every power and principality that's not of God. Right now, I call on for the power of Holy Ghost conviction to fall upon every heart, every mind, every individual, and that this day they will be able to say with all, all conviction, it has been good to be in the house of the Lord. Bless your people in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, before you sit down, there's something I have people do everywhere I go. I want you to turn and look at your neighbor, and I want you to make this confession. It's going to be a bad day for the devil. Come on now. <clears throat> yeah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. How does one come to know the true power of praise? I enjoyed the worship this morning. My goodness. Here I thought your pastor was a quiet person. <laughs> My mistake, okay. Hallelujah. I believe one receives this knowledge of the power of praise when you learn to worship in every circumstance without limit. It is praising when no matter what comes your way, or no matter what you are going through, you can still lift up your head and praise, and praise with an abandonment. I, I ask God, what is praise? What is praise without limit? What is praise without restraints? And as I pondered the question, what is praise without limit, immediately the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, the greatest example of adoration, praise, and worship in the word of God is Job, who after losing everything, he falls on the ground and he worships. Job 1, 13 through 19 says, One day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting at the oldest brother's house, a messenger arrived at Job's home with this news. Your 
sons, your oxen were, were plowing with the donkey, feeding beside them. When the Sab Sabians raided us, they stole all the animals and killed all the farmhands. I'm the only one who escaped. While he was still speaking, another messenger arrived with this news. The fire of God has fallen from heaven and burned up your sheep and all the shepherds, and I'm the only one who escaped. While he was still speaking, a third messenger arrived with this news. Three bands of Chaldeans raided. Raiders have stolen your camels and killed your servants. I am the only one who escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger arrived with this news. Your sons and daughters were feasting in their oldest bro brother's home. Suddenly a powerful wind swept in from the wilderness and hit the house on all sides. The house collapsed on all your children and all your children are dead. And I am the only one who escaped to tell you. You talk about having a bad day. All this took place within one hour. One messenger right after another, telling him everything that you own, everything you possess has been stripped away. And that which is closest to your heart, your children, they're all dead. How would you live through something like this? A couple of weeks back, I was preaching at a church in Franklin, Missouri. The pastor there his, two of his children were killed in an automobile accident. When that happened, his wife left him and he was left with one child. Years later, God opened the door and he ended up marrying another woman. And together they got into ministry. He got his life right with God. He, they got into ministry. Over the course of their years of ministry, they had she had children when they came into the marriage. He had one, and, and they, they, God blessed them with other children. They even, in the end, they've ended up adopting some children. But in the process of these years of ministry, he was holding tent revivals, speaking in other churches. He has finally established a church. But in this period of time, Five more of his children died in separate automobile accidents and one from drug overdose. And I looked and I thought, how can this man still continue winning the lost? His church has one of the greatest outreaches I've seen anywhere. He took me back to see his food pantry that he where he ministers to people. He has two walk-in freezers. He has a walk-in refrigerator. He has shelves like a warehouse loaded with food. And he has a kitchen there where they have tables and they feed people. And they have, a, I, I don't know how many hundreds throughout that part of Missouri go to his church for food every, twice a week. And yet he's still pastoring the church and on top of all that. And I took a look and I said, there's a modern day Job. Job chapter 1, verse 20 through 22 says, And Job arose, he tore his robe, and he shaved his head, and he fell to the ground and worshiped. And he said, Naked came I from my mother's womb, naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And all this Job did not sin 
nor charge God with wrong. Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I shall return. The Lord has given. Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Really? Can you imagine what Satan's reaction was to Job's saying this? What? Are you crazy? What's wrong with you, man? Don't you understand what just happened? Blessed be the name of the Lord. It's hard to understand, but you know, I know a lady. This lady loved children. Her name was Helen. She loved children. Matter of fact, as a teenager, teenager growing up, she would babysit for free because she just wanted to be around the children. When she finally got married, her and her husband were looking forward to the day when she could have a child and they could start raising a family. Well, the time finally came where she became pregnant. And they were, got the nursery ready. They were all anxious to have this child. One day she was expecting a phone call from an important phone call from the doctor and she was bathing. She heard the phone ring. So she got up and tried, tried to hurry up out of the tub to get to the phone. In the process, she slipped. She fell. She fell against the commode there and she laid there on the ground and she was bleeding. They had to rush her to the hospital. And because of that fall, she had not only lost the baby, but they did a surgery on her. And the doctor came to her afterwards. He said, I'm sorry, Mrs. Contreras, he said, but you not only lost the baby, but because of the surgery we did, you will never be able to have children. This young lady, whose name was Helen, she was a gospel singer. And it really hit her hard. For two, three weeks, she just stayed at home, didn't want to go out, didn't want to see nobody after she came home from the hospital. And there was a revival going on at her home church. They had an evangelist there. And finally, they talked her into going to church, and she sat there. And the evangelist that was there, he looked at her, he says, young lady, he says, come up here. And she came forward. He said, the Lord spoke to me. He told me, he says, that you were with child and you had an accident and you lost that child. He said, but not only that, the Lord told me that the doctors told you you will never have children. He says, this is what the Lord says to you. As Hannah waited so shall you, but you will give birth to a baby boy. She grabbed those words, she hung on to them. And the years went by, two years, four years, six years, seven years, 
And her and her husband, they had the opportunity to adopt a baby. It was a baby boy. So they adopted that baby boy. When they adopted him, he looked at her and he said, are we going to name him Samuel? And she said, no. He's going to be named Stephen. God said, I'm going to give birth to a child. When I do, that baby will be called Samuel. He said, but you heard what the doctor said. Yeah, but you haven't heard what God said. Eight years, nine years, ten years. And the tenth year, she got sick. Didn't know what it was, and she went to the doctor. The doctor checked her, and he came out. He says, I don't understand this. He said, what don't you understand? He said, I don't know how this happened. She goes, what? He said, you're pregnant. She looked at him and said, well, I can tell you how it happened. <laughs> he says, no, no, no. My, medically, you cannot have children. Then why am I pregnant? He said, I don't know, but you are. They got all excited, went through the whole process of preparing everything. The ninth month, sure enough, she gave birth to a baby boy with a head full of hair. And they were so excited. They took that baby boy home. And she was home three days, and while she was bathing that baby, all of a sudden, the baby went into convulsions, whole body just shaking. She rushed back to the hospital. They told him what, she told him what had taken place. They took the baby back, and after about oh, more than an hour, the doctor came out and handed her to the baby. He says, I, I don't know what the problem is. He says, uh, we couldn't find nothing wrong with your babies. Just your first-time mother. She said, no, I've, I've, I've raised a baby already. He said, well, there, there's nothing wrong. And he handed her the baby. And when he did, the baby went into convulsions. She looked at him. She says, you tell me there's nothing wrong with my baby. He quickly grabbed the baby out of her arms, and he went to the back room, back into the area. After more than two hours, she saw them wheeling her baby out. The incubator, his head shaved, needles in his head, arms, taking him into an intensive care area. The doctor took her into a private room, looked at her and said, Mrs. Contreras, I don't know how to tell you this, but your baby has spinal meningitis. We give him maybe six hours to live. Her pastor was standing next to her. He said, what are you going to do? She said, the only thing I know how to do. And right there in that consultation room, she lifted her hand. She said, Lord, I praise you. I thank you. You promised me a baby boy, and you gave me my Samuel. If I've only had it for just three days, I praise you because you're faithful. She went back home. Every day 
at the hospital waiting. Another day passed and another day. Then the third day, she was in a prayer meeting that was being held at my mother's house. And she got off in the corner. She said, I didn't want anybody praying over me. I don't want to be with her. I just want to get on the corner. She got in the corner there, and she's standing there. And all of a sudden, she heard Helen. And she knew the voice. You see, when she was 16 years old, Helen loved to sing. But Helen couldn't carry a tune in a bucket. She'd be singing, her brothers would be saying, who's dying? <laughs> but it was in that night, on the south side of Chicago, in that church, Helen began to sing in the most beautiful voice in the spirit. She sang. And all of a sudden, Helen went down under the power of God, and it was so strong, about 15 other people went down at the same time. The pastor said, she's having a vision. And she looked, and she saw her body laying there on the ground, and then she realized, I'm standing in the hands of God. And she quickly looked up to see him, and it blinded her. And he said, Helen, from this time forth, every time you sing, someone will be blessed. I've seen her sing and people run to the altar for salvation while singing because of the anointing that was on her voice. For three days, Helen was blind and her little brother had to lead her around. She was blind because of the brightness. In that prayer room, she heard that voice, Helen, yes, Lord. Helen, your baby is healed. She said, Lord, it isn't that I doubt you, but when I get off that elevator tomorrow morning and I go into that intensive care area and I go to where they have my baby, I want to see every single tube out of, my bod out of his body every needle out of his body. I want to see him in the nurse's arms and I want to see her feeding him one ounce of milk. That morning she got off the elevator, all the nurses were standing there looking at her and they said, we know something you don't know. She just smiled, walked into that intensive care area, into that special room and there was a nurse holding her baby, not a needle in his body, not a tube hanging from him, feeding her baby one ounce of milk. Doctor looked at her and said, lady, I don't know who you are or who you serve. But last night, and he gave the exact time when God spoke to her, he said, this baby went to convulsion after convulsion after convulsion. I thought, this is it. He's going to die. He said, and then this baby did something that no child ever does. That's it. In this state in which he was, he looked up at me and he smiled. <laughs> we have run every test that we can on your baby. And there's not a trace of spinal meningitis in his body. 
He said, but I must tell you, because his, his brain went so long without oxygen, don't expect much. He will probably be very retarded. He will not be able to probably read or speak. And he will be very weak. You see, Helen is my sister. She married in 59, got pregnant in 60, lost the baby in September 67. She adopted Stephen. And then in 1971, Samuel was born. 1989, 18 years later, Samuel graduated at the top of his class from computer programming. And then, at that age, he broke every world record for a teenager in powerlifting, lifting 575 pounds. After that, he taught and trained his little brother, who five years later, his brother went to Sussex, England, representing the United States, and at the age of 18, he lifted 765 pounds, beating his brother by almost 200 pounds. Let me tell you something. The power of praise. First Thessalonians 6, 5, 16 and 18 says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. See, when, every, when everything is going great, give thanks. No, no, that's not what it says. The Amplified version of that, ver of that scripture says, Thank God in everything, no matter what the circumstance may be, be thankful and give thanks, for this is the will of God for you who are in Christ Jesus. You know, many of us, we've accepted that verse, and every time somebody goes through something dif difficult, we tell them, now, the scripture says give thanks. Really? I mean, reality check sometimes. What we're going through many times, it's hard to give thanks. Let me tell you something. There are some people here that, that are discouraged. You've gone through some things and you're about ready to throw in the towel and say, God, I'm tired. Let me tell you something. Your, vic your, 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 your victory is right around the corner. Amen. Come on now. Amen. That verse is rejoice always. Jobed. Rejoiced in his creator. My sister, she rejoiced in her savior. They were celebrating because of, of the God they said. They were not celebrating because of what had transpired. They rejoiced in who God was, that he was a God over their circumstances. Psalms, the 150th chapter, it says, Praise ye the Lord, praise God in his sanctuary. And many of us think, well, this is God's sanctuary. This is where we come to praise the Lord. But you know what? This is not his sanctuary. Our bodies are his sanctuary. 1 Corinthians 6 and 19 says, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? 
The Amplified Version says that your, your body is the very sanctuary of the Holy Spirit. So we need to praise him in our sanctuary at all times. It says, praise him in the firmament of his power. Praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with the sound of the trumpet. The praise him with the psaltery and harp. Praise him with the timbrel and dance. Praise him with stringed instruments and organs. Praise him upon loud cymbals. Oh, Lord, we're supposed to be quiet before you. Praise him with the high-sounding cymbals. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. How many people in here are breathing? You got a responsibility then to praise the Lord. Well, I just don't feel like it. You know, many times we're like that little child that says, you put him in the corner. He says, I might be standing in the, you know, or standing in the corner here, but I, I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm still not going to do it. I'm still not going to go on with what you say. Come on now. All right. Would you check the pulse of the person next to you? I want to know they're still alive. It's quiet in here. For 145 chapters, David writes many things to us. However, the last five psalms are called the Hallelujah Psalms. The Hallelujah chapters. Because they all, all five chapters begin with the word Hallelujah and end with the word Hallelujah. Someone says, no, it says praise the Lord. That's Hallelujah in Hebrew. They're the Hallelujah chapters. You see, he had all things to talk about, but at the end, he wanted to make sure that you understood that through everything that he said in, in, in these Psalms, everything that's been written in these Psalms, the last five chapters are hallelujahs, praising him. The emphasis is on praise. The emphasis of Psalms 150, David, David says, it is time to reflect and celebrate. But then Psalms 22 and 3 says, you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. You are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. My home church, which is in Terre Haute, Indiana. He said, but do you live in Illinois? Yeah, I do now. I was living in Terre Haute. God sent me to Terre Haute to, for that revival. I was pastoring, in, I, I lived in Indianapolis. Just recently, we moved it to the land of the frozen chosen. <laughs> I'm in the northeast corner of Illinois, right by Wisconsin. And two miles from Lake Michigan. And it gets cold. And lots of snow effect, like effect snow. But one night we were been having revival services in Terrell, Indiana. That church is on its 11th year of revival. And in one of our services, we were in the back room 
And we were praying along with all those that were going to minister. And all of a sudden, there erupted in that room a shout. Now, I know God's not deaf. But there are times when God wants us to express a shout. And that was a time where the shout just erupted in that room. And the Lord gave me a word. And I looked at them. I said, what you're hearing is a shout heard at Jericho. And what you're going to hear tonight, the Lord says, is a shout that was heard at Jericho. And we came out into that service. And normally, you know, it wasn't, well, let us begin our service. No. All of a sudden, there was just a worship that was going on. And the worship increased. And all of a sudden, the entire congregation came up. What a shout. Nobody told them, let's shout. It was a spontaneous shout. And it lasted for about five minutes. And one of the young pastors that was visiting there, the Lord told him, look up. And he looked up. He says, I saw the roof opening up. He said, I saw a throne descending. And I heard the words, the Lord inhabits the praises of Israel. The Lord inhabits the praises of his people. That night, there was a man who they had carried in and put in the back row who had stage four cancer. He couldn't even walk. His body was so deteriorated. Sitting there in that back row, all of a sudden, during the midst of that shout, that man gets up on his own, stands in the aisle, lifts up his hands, and he begins to shout, shout at the top of his lungs as God was just pouring into him. That man went back to his doctor the next day. He says, I want you to run tests on me. I want you to run all the tests. He says, because I don't have any cancer. And the doctor looked at him and said, sir, you just got to accept the fact you're going to die. You have He says, yes, I'm going to die, but not this week. He says, I want you to run tests on me. On Thursday, the doctor called him up and said, would you come into my office? He says, I sure will. He walked into that doctor's office and said, we ran the test. You don't have any cancer. That, that same night that that shout, that praise erupted, you see our children gather around the altars and praise with us. And the children are around the altar and they're praising the Lord. And there was this one little girl, her mother had brought her from Effingham, Illinois, and she was in that service. And this little girl was clinically deaf. She had hearing aids in both ears. And she was at the altar with all the other children. She had her hands lifted up, praise the Lord. And all of a sudden, she felt the heat come into her hands. And it started traveling up her arms. And it came all the way up to her neck. And then all of a sudden, it was bothering her ears. So she took out her hearing aids. And now as she took them, she looked at them, walked over her grandmother. She says, here, I don't need these no more. Wow. And a woman who had scoliosis of the spine... She had lost, I think it was something like around four or five inches in height because she was twisted over. That woman was standing in the aisles, jumping up and down, praising God, completely healed. That night, we, we lost count of how many healings that took place. Why? Because God inhabits the praises of his people. 
Let me tell you something. The ones when they're up here ministering their music, they're not here to entertain you. They're here to worship God. And I'll tell you, if you sit with like a bump on the log and don't get nothing, it's your fault because God wants you to get involved. Hello? Come on now. <laughs> you know when, uh, I, I know I'm going long. I better cut this off. I'm, I will never beat the Baptist to the, uh, to the t- restaurant. Come on now. Hey, I pastored a church. <laughs> After Sunday school, we were coming up the stairs, and one of the deacons called me to the office. This was my first Sunday there. And he said, Pastor, I thought you should know. We don't have preaching on Sunday morning. I said, excuse me? We don't have preaching on Sunday morning. I said, and why? He said, well, our town's not very big, and there's only two good restaurants, and we'd like to beat everybody else to the restaurant. I said, don't worry. By the time we get out, there'll be room. We got out at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. There was room. But we see Jehoshaphat received news that the armies were coming against him. They were coming against the children of Israel, the Moabites, the Ammonites, The Munites, all the ites, joining forces, marching against Israel. King Jehoshaphat, being the wise king that he was, says, let's pray. He calls for fasting and prayer. But look at verse 20. Uh, and I, was, I didn't even see what chapter I was in. It's, it's in the Bible. Uh, praise God. And verse, uh, chapter 20 and verse 19 of uh, Chronicles, it says, The Levites, both the Kohathites and the Korahites, stood to their feet to praise God. The God of Israel says they praised at the top of their lungs. I have a hard time where people say, well, you got to be reverent, quiet. Why? God's not deaf. He's not anxious either. Come on. There are times when you shout. There are times to be silent. We take a look and we see when Elijah was in that cave and he comes out to the face of the cave and there was, there was an earthquake, there was fire, there was all this... God was not in it. So not everything shout is of God. And there was a time when God, he came out of that cave and God was in the whisper. We have to understand that many times God wants to hear our shout. When you are a mother and you have a child that is sick and dying, you learn how to really cry out to God. 
When you're in a desperate situation, you learn how to cry out. What is the cry of a sinner when there is problems, when there is trial, when there is a catastrophe? Their cry is, oh God. What is the cry of a saint? It should be Father. Hey, Daddy. Come on. The Kohites, they cried out at the top of their lungs. At Jericho, they cried out at the top of their lungs. It's not a shout, just a shout. It's a shout from the very depths within us. They ask, am I a shouting preacher? Yes, I am. But there are times when God says, no. I want them to hear. I want them to understand that in the midst of the greatest of trials, in the midst of the most difficult times, I don't want their prayer. I want their praise. I go back to the old songs of the church, and I love it. Begins to sing. I will praise him. I will praise him. Praise the Lamb. For sinners slain, give him glory, all ye people, for his blood can wash away each stain. Sing with me. Glory, glory to the Father. Glory, glory to the Son. Glory, glory to the Spirit. Glory to the Three. In one, I will praise him. I will praise him. Praise the Lamb for sinners slain. Give him glory. All ye people, for his blood can wash away each stain. I have several more pages of notes, but the Holy Spirit tells me, stop. We look and we see the darkness that's come upon our land. 
But the Holy Spirit spoke to me this week, and he said, Son, the darkness that you see, that's a man-made darkness. The Bible says that darkness shall cover the land and great darkness. And if you go into the Hebrew in that, it says demonic darkness. We have yet to experience the demonic darkness. And we look at the darkness and say, Lord, what are we going to do? Actually, it's time to rejoice because the remainder of that scripture says, and the glory of the Lord shall rise upon you. The darkness is a notification that the glory is about to come. We've seen the church cower. We've seen so many men of God all of a sudden cower because of the darkness. It's now what will happen when the demonic darkness comes. Can I tell you something? God has a purpose for this church. You don't have these many seats to have that many empty. The day is coming, pastor. When you're going to need people who will be able to disciple other people because there will be so many people getting saved every week. There are enough, there, there there are not enough churches in the city of Columbus to handle the number of people that are going to be getting saved. This is God's promise. But one thing that we have to learn right now, what God's trying to emphasize to you right now, is in the midst of what you're going through, don't let the darkness deceive you. This is the time to praise. This is the time to worship. If you can learn to worship and praise God in the midst of this difficult time, then let me tell you something. There's nothing, nothing, nothing that will hold back this church from doing what God has ordained for it to do. Some time back, my wife and I were driving down the road and we're looking at each other. What are we doing? We are 75 years of age, and we're traveling all over this country, preaching the gospel, speaking the word of the Lord. When most people are lying in a beach in Florida, retired. But Jeremiah said it so so beautifully when he said, there's a fire in my belly and it's shut up in my bones. I can't hold it in. I can't keep, I have to keep going on. My wife knows that if I were to stay home and retire, I'd be climbing the walls and so would she. She'd be praying, Lord, take him home. And this woman knows how to talk to God, so I would be dead meat. (laughs) 
Come on now. Some of you older people look, you know, if you have a retired husband, you know what I'm talking about. It's your, during your retirement years that your love really gets tested. Come on. But I'll tell you, one of the greatest joys I have is traveling across this country with her. Last month, we put 5,000 miles on our car. Traveling. Being in hotels. Eating fast food. It tires me. But I love what I do. And there are times when I want to say, God, I just like Jeremiah. You see, Jeremiah was beaten and whipped and tied to the gates of the city, chained to the gates of the city. And after that, he has a pity party. God, I'm tired of this. Every time I speak, I'm a household joke. Come on, God. He got upset with God. And let me tell you, prophets have pity parties. Pastors have pity parties. And I ask the question, how many pastors feel like just giving up? And it's every Monday morning. You've been there. Mm-hmm. Why am I doing this, God? It seems it goes in one ear and out the other. Why am I doing this? Why did you parent? Why did you raise a kid? It went in one ear and out the other, didn't it? Do you realize you're his kids? Praise him. This month is Pastor's Appreciation Month. Make sure you honor the man of God. Praise him right now. Hear me. God, everything I'm saying is by the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, I wouldn't be saying it. But I know that there's some that go through deep waters, some struggles. And today, I'd like to pray for you. I want you to start praising him. But more importantly, the Holy Spirit wants you to start praising him. Would you stand in this place right now? In this house, there are ministries that are waiting to be birthed. You didn't hear me. I said, in this house, there are ministries that are waiting to be birthed. You may say, oh, I'm already in a ministry. God's going to take you to another level. God's going to stretch you. How many here want revival? Do you know what you're asking for? God's going to wreck your services. There's going to be a times when the worship will go and will not be able to stop 
because God's going to take over. Oh, but we have to do this. We have to do that. God's going to say, no, you don't. You have to do what I'm telling you to do. God's going to wreck your way of living. Do you want that? Are you open to that? And Satan's going to come against you because you're going after God. Are you ready to face that? When you say, we want revival, you have to accept what comes with it. So today, if you're going through those difficult, deep waters, you say, it's been hard. But today, I want to come and I want to say, I want, I want you to pray for me and I, I want God to show me how to praise. Now, not too many people have gone through what Job has gone through. Matter of fact, I think this one pastor I spoke about is about the only person I've ever met that has ever gone through something like that. He lost his wife, lost his business, lost everything, and God had to start him all over again. I don't know too many people have gone through what my sister went through. She paid a price. But let me tell you something. When that woman sang, people would come to the altars crying while she was singing. Throughout all the black churches in Chicago, they know her as the white Mahalia. She'd get up there and she sang. She was a soul type singer. It was interesting, my home church back then, it was in Blue Island, Illinois. It was, it was a Spanish-speaking church, and we had a choir that competed with the black choirs. Go figure. Why? Because we are running after God. Are you running after him? Tonight, well, today. Maybe, maybe I'm preaching so long it is night. Today, you say, I want prayer. I want to invite you to come to this altar right now. I and my wife, we want to pray with you. We want to believe God to do a special empowering in your life. Would you come if you feel it?